0: I want to tell you something, if, if you live or if you're residing in this area, and, and you're just wondering if, if there's anyone in this valley that's still seeking. I, had a, I, I think it's about the first time it's ever happened to me. Got off the plane yesterday, walked off, saw the the mountains, and was overwhelmed with emotion. I actually teared up. I'm from Colorado, so it's not the mountains that that uh, move me. It's uh, it's my great aunt, my my grandmother's sister, who I grew up with as as if she was my 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 grandmother, lived in in this valley, uh, a little bit to the east, and so I grew up flying into Ontario or Palm Springs and having to drive, or even LA and having to drive in and spend time with her. And for most of my life, she was indifferent to anything having to do with my journey with Jesus. She cheered me on in my education, but that was because it was education and not because it was theology or, or uh, religious. But uh, later in life, something happened. Somebody touched her. Somebody reached out to her and invited her to be part of their church community and my aunt Peggy died in this valley uh, having this very dynamic and exciting relationship with Jesus. Amen. And so that was my last of the, my relatives. My, my mother's side grew up in Los Angeles and eastward here. Uh, but that was the last kind of family member we had here. And I just, I just want to put a plug out for, for, the, for what I believe are thousands of people within our reach, that would be touched if we just don't give up on them. If we just don't give up. So Father, as we open Your Word this morning, would it be that You don't give up on us? That's, we know You don't. We know You don't because You've invited us here. But Father, while on others Thou art calling, do not pass us by. Meet with us. Change our hearts and our minds today. Uh, Father, you have a word for me, you have a word for us, so let it be that you speak cogently in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last night for Vespers, a group of us began this conversation of what do the narratives of Daniel have to do with us? Now, understanding most of us would be very quick to recognize what the book of Daniel primarily is. And that would be a book of prophecies. Outlining in several different ways and from several different perspectives the time from Daniel's time to the very end of time. Earth's history and the second coming. But what we find in the book of Daniel is sprinkled... Several narratives. Some of the best stories of Scripture are in Daniel. you got the three worthies in the fiery furnace. You have Daniel and the lion's den. You have Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is this narrative of his capture and his journey of interacting with the culture and the expectations of King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So these narratives, these, these narratives, and we've kind of always just left them there. Like, ooh, there's Daniel chapter two, that image. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, and then let's Daniel chapter seven, and then let's, and we kind of just we, we we've we 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 like them. They're they're inspiring. They're but we've left them there. And what we introduced last night is this conversation about uh, it is understood that within Scripture. There are, narrative, there are there is narrative theology, stories with a theological, a truth about God, a, an understanding, a, an actual theological teaching buried within the stories of Scripture. They're not just there for historical accountability or for our entertainment. They're there for a theological truth about who the person of God is. So we understand that. We've always kind of embraced that. There's, we understand that stories are there for something. But there's also this, this question. Could it be that within the stories of Scripture, there are narrative prophecies... Now that we know that there, you say, no, 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 I'm not, well, well, wait wait a minute. Well, let let me take you there this way. In the book of Psalms, the songs, there were prophetic songs. Psalm 22, the very song that Jesus quoted on the cross, was a prophetic song about a Messiah, and not just to to the Messiah, but that that Messiah would one day gain ultimate victory. It's apocalyptic. Psalm 22 is apocalyptic. It goes right through the Messiah and declares that that Messiah will one day establish victory. So there's prophetic songs. Psalm 24 is also a prophetic psalm. It's known as the Song of Mount... Zion, the idea that heaven, and that's where the angels uh, would sing, lift up your heads, O you gates. So so there's prophetic songs. Is it then possible that there is also prophetic narratives or stories that serve a prophetic, even an apocalyptic purpose? It's (laughs) certainly not far-stretched. So here's the here's the thesis that the narratives within the book of Daniel are not just randomly uh, sprinkled stories, but they're actually narratives with a prophetic message. And we we went there last night, looking at the three. Hebrew worthies, that their story was actually a a prophecy of what the people at the end of that Daniel chapter 2 statue would look like. We're not going to revisit that, but I do want to take you to another narrative in the book of Daniel. Now, let me begin by just throwing up Hans Lorendel's words on the screen This is from his his classic, How to Understand End-Time Prophecy. The thrust of each prophetic series is the triumph of God's rulership over evil. We need to realize, therefore, that the aim of biblical apocalyptic is not to predict specific events or secular world history as such. In other words, God is not just trying to tell us what's coming next. Biblical apocalyptic is not an exhibitionism of God's foreknowledge. Ha! Didn't know I could do that, did you? Right, this whole, I can tell you what's coming next. Rather, its concern is to inspire hope among the oppressed people of God. That's the purpose of apocalyptic prophecy, is to inspire hope, give courage, to the people of God. It seems very fitting then that God would embed within narratives these prophetic words to inspire hope in His people. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 begins, obviously, the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. In the third year, I'm reading from the NIV, whatever translation version you have is great. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right? How many sides do you have in verse one? It's not a trick question. You have two Coincidentally, how many sides are in the great controversy? Two, not three. As some of us sometimes conclude, we just assume that there's God's side, the devil's side, and then my side. Kind of I'm in the middle, and I'm a th- kind of a triangle approach. There is no... T- you, you either serve one of two masters, right? Jesus says that. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, came and bes- to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now let me just insert some representation here and, and, and just journey with me through this narrative and see if it plays out. All right? So we have Jehoiakim and Judah. Who would they represent? If there's two sides in the great controversy, which side would they represent? Mm-hmm. Yep. God's side. All right? Nebuchadnezzar, king of... <laughs> King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Who would Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Babylon represent? Satan. Satan. So we have God and his people, Satan and his people, or his agenda represented here. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This was was actually a, a, a fulfillment of prophecy itself. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of that temple of God. These he carried to the temple of his God, little G, in Babylon, and put in the treasure house of his God, little G. What did, what did Hans Lorendel point out? That this that apocalyptic prophecy is always about these two this this conflict, God's rulership over Satan, light over darkness. That's the whole purpose. And so here we have an attack. Satan, Nebuchadnezzar, his people, his agenda, has besieged the people of God. Now, right there, we know we're on track because in the great controversy, the people of God have been surrounded, besieged by Satan and his agenda. We are saturated, our culture is saturated, not with this idea of of God and and self sacrifice and self surrender and service but of living for oneself and and everything is just is is perverted twisted and and generally messed up all right so here we have uh, it's it it rings very true to the day we live in we live in a culture and a society besieged by an agenda that Satan has. It's communicated from media to politics and through and through. The king, verse 3, ordered Ashman as chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, and we could say young women, without any physical defect. Hand, handsome, showing aptitude for every. Kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them, listen to the language here, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. What? Wait a minute. Did you just catch that? So, so Be- King Nebuchadnezzar, the strategy of besieging God's people, and then taking them. King Nebuchadnezzar was brilliant in that he would capture, take the brightest minds and the most influential, the most dynamic of the people, bring them back, and then teach them, change their thinking, and they would be available at his service to influence their own people. Brilliant. Except he's not the only one that's had that idea. At some point, the devil realized that he could not beat the church. That the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And he changed his his game plan. If I can't beat them, I will join them. And so Satan then took this approach that he will he will take from the church not to destroy the not to destroy them but to actually train and re retread them to to give them new thinking to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans the Babylonian way to think and then he would send them back in to convert their Countrymen. The devil's played that game with the church for the last several hundred years. I can't can't kill them off. I chop their heads. I drown them. I burn them at the stake. And they keep growing. I know what I'll do. I'll insert my thinking into their culture i'll take them and i'll retrain them i'll teach them the language and the literature of my culture and then i'll send them back in to influence their countrymen beloved the devil has done it with the church and it's just not the mother church we like to cast our glances at our sister churches, our sister denominations to say they they got taken. Look at them. They're following pagan practices. While subtly we may be taken by the very same thing, Satan's agenda, I'm going to take the young. All due respect, maybe some were older. But I'm going to take those with, that are dynamic and, and influential, smart. I'm going to take the brightest. I, I, love, I love asking this question. When Jesus says, beware of false prophets, Matthew 24, he says it three times, Matthew 24, false prophets. We would say, yeah, yeah, we need to be careful. We need to guard against false prophets. All right. Let me just, (laughs) let me just, let me just ask you, who comes up in your mind when you think of a false prophet? create a picture in your mind, alright? Jesus says three times in Matthew 24, the, Matthew 24 being this warning against the end, this apocalyptic presentation of Jesus, this little revelation, as it were. And he says three times, he repeats it more than any other warning about the end times. Be careful of false prophets. You got a false, so, so picture a false prophet in your mind. If we're to be careful, if it's the foremost warning that Jesus gives, we need to be, we need to, we need to be careful. So p- you're picturing a false prophet. You got one? Let me see if I can tell you what you're thinking. Male or female? I bet it's a male. Anybody, Anybody? am I wrong? Was anybody saying, no, no, I was definitely thinking of a female. Okay, so somebody, there's a few of you that are just really think different. Or you're just or you just want to be different. That's either way, it's fine. But okay, a few of you thought of female. The vast majority of you thought of male. White, black, Hispanic, or Asian, white male. Most of you. Old or young? Old white male. Bearded or clean shaven. Bearded, older white male. Now, this isn't racist at all. This isn't about white, black, Hispanic, Asian, or any of the others. This is that Satan's going, I'm just not going to use an older, white, bearded male. And I have them. Catch us all. We think of the false prophets as socially awkward, slightly smelling, older, white, bearded males. And the devil's going, Yeah. point is nebuchadnezzar says i need the dynamics i need the ones that are influential the smart ones the ones that are well liked i'm not calling anybody out here but the point is is that the devil is not bad at his job or he'd be out of business Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, let's get get them and retrain them. And then there's that line, that operative line, that we may teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians. Beloved, do you know that that's Satan's agenda? He wants to draw you away. He doesn't want you to leave church. Ah, he'd be happy for you to stay As long as you're willing to feed your mind and your heart with the literature and the language of his culture and then go back in and influence. Oh, Daniel chapter 1 is more than a nice little opening story about Daniel's captivity. It is a prophetic message for all of us. There is a dark, satanic being who roams this planet seeking whom he may devour but He doesn't do it by the sword or by the fire. He invites you into His his classroom. And He wants to teach you the literature and the language of His culture. So why? 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 So that they, in the end, may serve in the king's palace. That they can serve Him verse 5 yes. verse 5 the king who's the king yeah who's the king yeah who's the king satan I, I told you, come, on, come with me on this journey. Come on, come on, come on, come on. The journey of understanding. Wait a minute, if this is, could this be a prophetic message for us? Yes, it's Nebuchadnezzar. But the king, the king, in our context, Satan, the king does what? Appointed them, assigned them, the NIV will read, a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Verse 5 is by far the most telling verse about the approach of Satan, the agenda, the M.O. of Satan than almost any other verse in Scripture that I know. Let's spend a little bit of time with this. The king, Satan, appointed that is that he's actually thinking of a plan for you. You say, "God has a plan for your life, and we're absolutely right. But he's not the only one that lays out a scenario. Ooh, with those kind of God-given gifts, Satan looks and assesses you, places a value, a role on you, and says, "I, I have a plan." I, I, I can use you this way. I can use you that way. The king appointed for them a daily provision. A daily provision. That is, Satan has a a menu for you every day. He knows Friday. This is is what, what, what I can give her. This is what I can give him. Saturday night. Sunday. He doesn't take a day off. He has a daily assignment, a menu to offer you every single day, beloved. Are you listening to the verse? It's a daily attack. He doesn't take a Sabbath off. And in the Adventist communities, I've had the privilege of spending time in the churches and the schools and the institutions. If I could take take them and challenge them in one particular moment of the week, it would be this, Saturday night. Because for some reason, after 24 hours of a Sabbath, we, we, some, begin to feel like they then have their time to do whatever they want. It's not a, it's not a killjoy. It's not about, oh, you can't have fun. It's about Satan knows Saturday night. Oh, I, can't, I can't get them Sabbath morning. They are focused. They're doing music. They're speaking. They're, they're focused. They're studying their Bibles. But come Saturday night. Mm, a daily provision, Monday, Tuesday, all the way through the week of the king's delicacies. I like that word, delicacies. It sounds so pleasant, it sounds nice harmless, the king's delicacies. Before I was married and had the luxury of actually enjoying uh, prepared food, <laughs> I, uh, I used to after, after I left the office Friday afternoon getting ready for Sabbath, I would go to the grocery store and I had, uh, I w- I'm very I 'm very systematic when it comes to food. Uh, I, I just don't have the creativity, so it 's got to be a certain way and a certain. So I go to the grocery store and I, I go down every aisle, and I start the same way every Friday, uh, and I have a routine and I know where everything is. I, I, I don't have pets or anything, but I still go down the dog and cat food aisle, because if I skip that aisle, then I 'm coming down the wrong direction on the next aisle, <laughs> and that, that right doesn't. You gotta, you gotta, so every week, do the same thing through the grocery store, pretty much the same items. Every once in a while, I'd say, nah, you know what, I am really gonna feel, feel like I can stretch boundaries here and bloop, put in uh, something, you know, some dried strawberries or something that I hadn't normally picked before. So, uh, every Friday, though, then I would end in front of, in the bakery, in front of the display, of delicacies. Donuts of every shape and size and color. And it was my practice to, to pick one. They're only 30, 33 cents. Pick one. Use that little wax paper, put it in the bag, check out, and then eat it, eat it on my way to the car and on my way home. Every once in a while. Every once in a while, I would say, "You know, if one is so good, two must be so much better." But inevitably, every single time, I would I would finish that one, and and, and, and it was so good, and I would bite into the second, and, and and three or four bites into the second, I would realize that that I'm I, I the sugar rush that I'm over the scratchy throat. It's too much. I've been duped again. I've wasted 33 cents on a second donut that I can't finish. I felt, felt duped, right? felt tricked into buying a second delicacy. I'm convinced that this is, this is Satan's approach as well. That he will hang that delicacy out in front of you as the assignment. This is, this is what I'm offering you. And you'll take it and you'll eat it and you'll realize that there's no, been no adverse effects to your spiritual life. Wasn't that bad. Parents, teachers, preachers, I all said if, if I skipped my morning worship that I would, that I would uh, fall out of love with God. But look, I, I did it. And, I, and I, I'm still excited to go share Jesus. And I, I'm... I'm just fine. Or, or, or they said if I would watch this or, or, or do this, that, that it, would, it would begin to cut my relationship, uh, relationship off with God. But look, I did it, and, and I've suffered no harm. Oh, Satan says that. See, that's right. Didn't bother you at all. Satan's not going to... He's good at his game, beloved. He's good at his game. He'll take the time. He'll take the time. What did he say? Three years of training for them. He'll take the time. Satan isn't going to get you in one week or one night or one month. He will take the years to slowly chip into your life, to insert menu items. And you'll say, look, I've suffered no harm with this. I can accept the next one. And he presents them like they're delicacies. That's why I like that word is because you can't, it's like makes you happy to even say a delicacy. It's just light and and innocent and, and fluffy and... Delicacies. But behind these delicacies is a satanic agenda. Like a purpose. Satan has studied and he knows their effects. He knows what they'll do. They come across as just, well, just harmless actions. Oh, beloved, Satan knows what he's doing. He has a plan for your life. And he'll take the years to do it. So that at the end of that time, They might serve before me, and they won't even know it. They'll still be leading in the church. They'll still be active in their their faith community. But they have been slowly fed a menu of delicacies, daily Hmm. So I ask you, what are you eating? What are you eating? In a community like this, I don't want to just pass this, that is Daniel at all talking about, is Daniel chapter 1 at all talking about our diet as in a literal food sense? Sure, make the argument. I have no. Pro- Listen, beloved, I have no argument against healthy lifestyle. I love, I, I I love exercise. I love to run, and I love to eat vegan. So I I have no argument there. You don't have to convince me. But Daniel chapter one, if we have just written it off as some sort of admonition right before Daniel gets to the real apocalyptic stuff, he just makes a mention about. Your diet. We have totally missed the purpose of Daniel chapter 1. If we think this is just eating vegetables and fruits and nuts and grains versus eating the processed and highly refined foods or even meat, you missed it. Now, I have no argument against healthy eating, but it's not the primary message of Daniel chapter 1 is not that. primary message of Daniel chapter 1 introduces the rest of the great controversy played out in the book of Daniel between right and wrong and this narrative prophecy is saying, look, God's people have been besieged. Satan has an agenda. He's looking to train them, provide for them delicacies, a menu every day that's enticing and attractive. And he's, he's seeking to train them, to retrain their thinking. And so the question that comes back, what are you eating, has nothing to do with lunch today or lunch yesterday, but everything to do with what you are consuming. What are you exposing yourself to? What are you spending time on? What are you spending your energies absorbing? And believe me, beloved, Satan will make it very attractive. My good my friend, Edwin Rosado. Love that man. He, he tends to say things, uh, well, he just says things that you don't say, but that you get. So he's talking to a group, I was spending time with him there at Andrews University. He had him talking to a group of high school students. He said to me, or said to them, he said, look guys, I just, I just want to be clear with you. Satan is not going to tempt you with poop. His point? Satan has a menu of delicacies. Things that you are going to find attractive. He studied you. I argue that he's, he knows you third best. God knows you the best. Your guardian angel knows you second best. And then Satan knows you third best, even better than you know yourself. He spends, I know some of us are very self-centered and spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, but Satan spends way more time thinking about you than you think about yourself. Because while you're sleeping, he still studies you. He studies the movements on your face. Hey, I saw I saw a little flicker of of an eye there. I saw I saw a second look. That ooh, this is what gets him. This is what gets her. And he studies us, beloved, not because he loves us, but because he wants to retrain us and mobilize us for his agenda. And so Edwin Rosado is right. He's not going to come at you with something that you find absolutely repulsive. Ah, I'm not even attracted to that. I'm not. That's not. I don't like that at all tell my wife, I say, Melanie, if the devil's going to get us, uh, or if he ever uses, because we, we talk about shopping and spending, and oh, you know, is, is, that, is that a good or a bad thing? I said, I don't, I don't know, because the devil will never get me through the means of shopping. That will never be, if, if he uses that, then he's going to fail in his business, because I, I, like I said at the grocery store, just get me right here, and thank you, I'm out of here. My wife is so kind to me, she'll buy three or four sometimes different varieties of the same pair of pants or shirt, bring them home, let me try them on, we keep one, and she's willing to take the other three back. That is incredible, gentlemen. Be very selective <laughs> you look around, right? So I don't like to go to a store, I have no interest in going to a store. It's a waste of my life. But I tell her, I said, so, so, sweetie, I don't know. You have to talk to God about shopping and spending because I have no attraction to it. Satan is, he knows your stuff. He knows your stuff. And believe me, just because shopping isn't my thing, it doesn't mean that I am outside of the, the bounds of what the devil can reach. Ooh, he's got my number. just doesn't happen to be that so here it is we have these these this opening presentation of the book of Daniel this apocalyptic book that's going to eventually tell us that God wins but in the first few verses of Daniel all we're hearing about is that the people of God are besieged by an agenda that's there to tear them down and to tear their connection with God apart and it seems like the devil is winning. You look around your friends, some of you have siblings or friends, maybe even parents, that at one time were strong, but you don't know what happened. It was like one day this happened and then the next day and, and pretty soon, three years later, they're not, they're, there's no connection with the church and there's no connection with God. I have two sisters. I love them very much. Live up in the state of Oregon. And I, I can't pin the moment that the, that the devil got them. But currently they're raising, they're, they have wonderful families, but they're, they're apart from God. Totally apart from God. I don't know the moment. I don't know the week or the month that the devil got my... He's not working like that. He's got years of training so that he can get us. And the opening of Daniel can be very discouraging, can be heart-wrenching. Satan's having his way with the people of God. King Nebuchadnezzar is having his way. But verse 8, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Begins with the conjunction but. Which is a conjunction of inequality. And is a conjunction of equality. But is a conjunction of inequality. That's why many of us mid-sentence have stopped and reversed speaking to somebody. Oh honey, you look so good. But. uh, And. but is a statement of inequality. And so here comes the book of Daniel. Satan's having his way. He's he's appointed a daily provision. They're delicacies. He's going to train God's people to serve his agenda, to serve his kingdom, to build up his kingdom. Oh, no! But. 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 Daniel. What's that next word? And the strength of that statement, but Daniel purposed, has rung through the courts of hell and caused absolute terror. Because here it is, Satan and his host is having its way, but Daniel purposed. And to be more emphatic, Daniel purposed in his heart. This is a very strong statement. This is not a casual decision, not a rejection of one of, one of Satan's temptations. This is not a, a in the moments. This was a pre decision. I shall not ever even consider that it was absolute it was cogent it was unequivocal we would say that is not an option and daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 makes a prophetic statement to the people at the very end of time who will stand against the onslaught of satan and his host But Daniel purposed in his heart. What does that tell us? That tells us that right now, right here, sitting where we're at, we can make a decision. It's not an option. I won't consider it. It's the story of Joseph played out in an apocalyptic narrative. Did, Joseph would not even consider it an option. He didn't provide space for it. He didn't linger. It, he knew if that was a temptation, it was over. It was, he it, it would remove its context. Sorry, friend, you've got to go. Laptop, you've been my downfall. I'll go study in a computer lab if it takes that. But I'm not having a laptop in my little apartment because it is my downfall. You know you can still buy phones that aren't smart? You can still do it? Point is, I'm not railing on laptops or smartphones. Je- Jesus, Jesus, you say, well, that's kind of harsh to get rid of your laptop if, because it's, it's an it's a area of temptation for you. It's true. It's, that's a little harsh. Let, let me try Jesus on you. If your eye offends you, now who's being harsh? <laughs> if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Jesus said, "I'd rather you come into the kingdom, eyeless and armless. I'd rather you come in, all maimed and and I'd rather have you than you would have all of that. I can restore. I can restore your eyes. I can give you sight. I can heal your arm." But I cannot save your heart if it feeds off of the agenda of Satan. Here's the the thing. Here's the thing. It makes it all the more relevant in the time of Joseph in Egypt and in the time of Daniel in Babylon. What they were being asked to do was completely acceptable and the norm. Joseph, that little shenanigan, no problem. Potiphar wouldn't have even had a problem with it. It wasn't the first time for his wife and it probably wasn't going to be the last. It was accepted practice. As long as you're a consenting adult, you're fine. Daniel. Apparently a lot of other com- compañeros, uh countrymen were were doing it too. Apparently a lot of other people had just accepted, hey Daniel, don't listen. Man, God is God has given us into captivity. You just got to go with the... You got to do what they... I mean, they're our boss. No, I don't. No, I don't. Daniel purposed in his heart. And that's a prophetic statement for the people of God living in the very end. Let me jump to the very last, last scripture text, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. The book of Daniel begins with with Daniel, the people of God, standing up for their God. The book of Daniel, it begins with Daniel and his three friends saying, We will purpose in our heart that we will not defile ourselves with this meat. We will live only for God. We will only allow Him and His word to feed us. And how does the book end? It ends, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, all the way to chapter 12, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. He will stand up. The book ends with Daniel standing up for his God. Or the book begins, the book ends with God standing up for his people. That's the bookends of all the prophecies in the book of Daniel. It begins with us, the end time people, saying we'll stand for you, but Daniel purposed in his heart and it will end with Michael, the victor, standing up for his people. Hallelujah. All the rest is commentary on that. I want to close with a, with a challenge to you, an invitation. I appreciated this, Oof, the close-up story we heard during our song service of of the hurricane there in Puerto Rico, I assume. My wife and I have our own little journey with, with Hurricane, Hurricane Thomas. We got married in, in, uh, there at our home church where we were pastoring at the time, Pioneer Memorial on the campus of Andrews University. Got married there. And then we we'd had a disagreement. We'd had our differences. I'm more of a uh, sandals resort kind of guy, all inclusive. She's more of a bungalow in the boonies, kind of all by yourself kind of person. <laughs> so we had to, we went back and forth. Finally, we agreed. Look, we'll uh, we'll stay at this resort. We found a, a resort in Saint Lucia, down in the bottom of the Caribbean. Uh, little island, beautiful little place. Uh, we we stayed there. It was partly uh, it was partly together with a larger group. But then they would van you up to your isolated little bungalow or cabin in the mountains. We were there for a couple of days. Delightful time. Uh, when uh, when our our cab driver, who was Adventist, the, the largest denomination on the. The island is Seventh-day Adventist. So our cab driver happened to be Adventist. And he said, look, I'll pick you guys up on Sabbath if you're, you're here And so, Yes, we'd love to go to church visit with you. So he said, I'll pick you up. On Friday, he called and said, look, a storm's rolling in. They're worried about mudslides. Uh, so just stay put. No problem. We stayed in that little remote, isolated bungalow and uh, up in the mountains. And we, we turned on the TV and watched... We, they, they have uh, you know, on their normal network there they have uh, Adventist programming and so we, we got to watch our home service Pioneer Memorial we watched uh, our home service and we're just enjoying the service and kind of seeing oh look, look who's there at your, oh okay, okay and then the TV kind of flickers and goes out alright something antenna got knocked over no problem let's just read our Bibles we'll do a little Bible study and pretty soon then the electricity Blinked and went out. No problem. Nothing like a honeymoon with a little candle, Bible study, Sabbath afternoon, mm. all alone in our little bungalow. And now we're studying the Bible there with a candlelight. Ah, oh, you know, picture perfect romantic, right? Uh, no electricity. No, uh, pretty soon uh, the afternoon wears on and now it's getting dark and and we're thinking, let's call for a ride to go get supper because they would, you're so far away from everything that you had to have a van ride to get anywhere. So the, we picked up the phone and I called the, the uh, operator and she said, hey, look, we're, we'll send somebody up. Usually, it, it, max, it would be 10 minutes before a van, someone would knock on your door. We waited a half an hour and nobody was coming. So I, I picked up the receiver again and said, <laughs> we're ready for supper anytime. She said, we're trying to get to you which should have been like a little alarm flagged, but wasn't. I said, all right, I just assumed you they're overwhelmed. And uh, another half an hour, now we're an hour of just kind of waiting for our supper. And I pick up the receiver again to tell the nice lady at the other end that uh, we had paid good money for our supper and we wanted to go. Uh, and there was no dial tone. There was no, no, nothing. So now we have nothing besides our candle and each other. I wait another half an hour and then I decide to, to be the man in the, and be brave and I put a towel over my head and go out into the darkness, into the rain. And uh, I, I wander around and I see up the hill a light and so I go up the hill to, and I find another couple that are in their bungalow. And the man is climbing out, they're on a hill, and he's climbing out the downhill side window. So he's climbing out the window. It's a German couple, <clears throat> straight from Germany, very thick accent. But I, I could understand that, uh, that he needed to get out the window. Why are you getting out the window? What, because the, the mountain has now come up against the top side of their bungalow, and they can't get out their door. So he's getting out the window on the downhill side. His wife then uh, provides him with a very generous amount of Snicker bars and Coca-Cola cans. And he's putting them in his pockets. (laughs) And it's looking like he'll be gone for a little while. Uh, We go go around to the right of his building. We're going to go up the hill to the right of his building. And like a jetliner, the sound of jet engines taking off, we hear this sound... (sighs) And just like that, boulders, probably six, seven feet tall, come rolling past us as the entire mountainside disappears into the ocean. Now we're standing on a newly formed bank, cliff. So we say, well, let's go the other way. So we go to the other way. (laughs) Us Germans, we're bright people. Uh, We go to the other way. And uh, we come across another bungalow in the woods uh, where there's seven house, it sounds like a Christmas carol, seven housemaids and one man. And the housemaids, because they're all in uniform, and, we're, and the man is, is muddy up to his waist. What's the story here? He had his own bungalow, his kids and wife had already gone down earlier in the afternoon to to the center of activity and he was waiting there and he heard a sound he went to open his door and the mountain came right through their bungalow he was left in uh, his bathrobe hanging on to a tree the entire building that he had just been residing in was gone and so these housemaids found him hanging on this tree in his bathrobe and took him in took him up the hill to this this other residence at this point i realized this is going nowhere good and so i go back in I find my way back to our bungalow and I come back into the house. I'm just soaked, soaking wet. And, and Melanie says to me, my, newly, my, my, my bride of six days, did you get anybody for my supper? I'm hungry. I said, sweetie, supper's going to have to wait. It's bad out there. It's really bad. About 20 minutes later, some men in hard hats, hats and uniforms showed up, banged on our door and said, We've got to get you out of here. We're going to take you to safety. And they took us up the mountain. We had to follow them up to a staging area. Trees and rocks and everything being destroyed. It really does look like a bomb went off. And uh, we were taken down to the restaurants there on the beach area that night. And all night long, there was hundreds of people. That, they had used tablecloths to try to sleep. Uh, my wife and I slept on the on the bar, literally the bar with in the bar stools, with our heads on the bar like two dr- drunks. Uh, um, <laughs> that's the only place left. the the, the floors and the, everything was just covered with people. Uh, and at one point during the night, a, a side of the building collapsed, and then that whole group of people had to just kind of squeeze in. For the next couple of days. Uh, there, we weren't allowed back into those, the hillside, back to where our, houses, our little villas were. Uh, we all had to stay together. So we spent the next night sleeping in one room. There was about six or eight, eight individuals, three or four couples. And the food, they would circle us around a table, and, and they would give us a certain amount of water for that table and a plate of food. I remember watching the first plate of food come. It was bacon strips and Pineapple. And so they, our tables very, thought we were very Christian when we offered them the bacon. Uh, two days later, a, a helicopter landed, and it was the government of St. Lucia. And they said, Look, we're, we're going to send help. Just be ready. So everybody gathered the belongings that they still had, and they went to the shore, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And we waited. They were supposed to come at 3, but at 4 and 5, they still weren't there. At 6, people started to leave and, and give up, and they weren't so concerned about staying guarded and astute. You know where I'm going with this. The, the, the government had promised three catamarans, three boats. They said that would be sufficient to take everyone off. The first one came, young children, those not those that weren't doing well, and the elderly loaded up that boat. They filled it up and they sent it away. Now it was dark. But they said, stay there, stay there. People said, no, it's hot. They're probably not coming. Let's let's go back. Let's let's try to find some water. Let's and the next boat came and we filled it up. <clears throat> and then they pulled away from the makeshift dock. And they announced to everyone on that dark, it was very dark resort, that there would be no more boats. And they would have to fend for themselves. And at that point, the emotion of the last couple of days just overtook me and my wife and others and we just began to cry. Because some of those people, you get close to people in a couple of days when you're in a crisis. And we began to cry. Fearing what happens to them. They could only shrug. They weren't ready. Never forgot that picture of that Dark shoreline as we pulled away in the lighted boat headed for safety. So here's my concern The devil's not worried about what he gets tonight, he's playing the long game. He's watching the signs of Jesus coming. He knows. He doesn't know the day or the hour, but he knows. He's studied his Bible. He knows better than any of us the times we're living in. He's playing the long game. If I can only get get them to step off their guard, to give up that purpose in their heart that they started with, three years ago, or that they had last year, or they had ten years ago, that, that determination that they would only feed upon God and His Word and his, his agenda for their lives, that they wouldn't be distracted by the culture and the little gods and the menu that I've prepared. For. I'll play the long game, and little by little, he's going to keep pecking away until we finally say, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not worth it to be so uptight about this. You know, Relax! Relax! Go enjoy yourself. Go into the shade and wait it out. When the time does come, there will be plenty of opportunity for us all to come back and get on the boat. And that's the lie from hell. There will be plenty of opportunity later. Here's what I want to appeal to you. What I believe Daniel chapter 1 is appealing to us is today to purpose in our hearts that we will not defile ourselves with the portion of the enemy's menu. His agenda, sorry Satan, there's no room. We will do whatever it takes to live consecrated and dedicated lives to the cause of Jesus. That's what I believe is the prophetic description of the people that are waiting for Jesus to come. So Father, what about us here, right here in Loma Linda, California? What about us, O God? Does this describe us? And if it doesn't, would You speak to our hearts? Would You pour Your Spirit out? Would You give us courage to stand like Daniel stood, standing for the right, so that at the very end, Michael, when he stands up, he will be standing for us. Let it be, O oh God, that Daniel chapter 1 describes us in the midst of a pagan and perverted culture. Let it be us who takes a stand for the right. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.